Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. When a man entered the religious order founded by Francis of Assisi, if he possessed any property, he gave it away, but he kept the tools of his trade. In Christ's service, we are still businessmen or physicians. We are scholars or laborers. We are men or women. We have white skin or black skin. We keep the tools of our race and of body and of the service of our brains and hands. But now they are in the service of the Lord. We use them willingly for him under his direction. So I thought that was an interesting um, illustration as I found that and and put that here. We're going to see the problem with kind of that, that, that opening sentence there where if you joined this guy's religious order, if you had any property, you sold it. That's a downright mistake, as we will see. Now look at our our passage here, chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. That, that term, in those days, is looking back to the previous chapters. Jesus, if, as you remember, has ascended into heaven. We had the day of Pentecost and the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Peter's on fire preaching. 3,000 get saved. There's healings. There's miracles going on through the apostles. Shortly after that, the apostles are imprisoned for preaching Jesus. And then in chapter 4, verse 32, we see that the, the apostles began sharing all of their possessions. And then we saw a rapid breakdown in that philosophy of communism with good old Ananias and Sapphira, who were lying about what they had. I get it. I totally get it. Why would I want to work two jobs six days a week? 60 hours a week. To provide for my family only to have the government come in and take what I've earned and turn around and give it to a man or a woman who refuses to work. It's insane. It's what we call welfare. Socialism. Being social. Communism. Communal. Community. It sounds real compassionate. But it is absolutely the worst thing that you can do. Because it breeds laziness. And an entitlement mentality. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul writing, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, what? 
you don't eat. Period. I live by that. When my daughter Amy was born in 2003, she had many health issues. And, and, and so, you know, baby comes out, the doctor takes baby, and, the ba- and they go and they, you know, they check the baby out, and then they come back, and they're like, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Ditterbrand, here's what's going on with this baby. And we're like, oh, wow, bummer. Next person to walk in the hospital room, guess who? Social worker. Oh, Mr. Miss Ditterbrand, how you doing? I'm, uh, I forget what her name was. Her name was Get Out of Here. <laughs> I'm very sorry about, you know, all, all what's going on. Okay, I ain't. Well, you know, you're, you're, we're, we're going we're gonna to get you in these programs, and you're going to get free formula and free diapers and free everything. I mean, they were about ready to start printing cash. And I looked at her, and I said, I don't want none of that. No, no, you, you don't understand. It's, it's free. I said, you don't understand. It ain't free. I'm working two jobs to pay for that stuff that you're fixing to turn around and give back to me. You don't need to come back. Thank you. And she never did. I don't want none of it. Nothing's free. Come on, iPad. Sorry, guys. Trying to go paperless, Gage. (laughs) Anybody else here paperless my age? Adam, okay. (laughs) He don't even have toilet paper at home. Sorry, sorry, sorry about that. That was that wasn't cool. But he usually heckles me. That guy does. Chris is next. Now the. <laughs> that was a good one. I'm gonna have to write that down. Okay, so the Hellenists. Alright, so these were the Greek-speaking Jews. Apparently, this group of folks was up on the, the current Greek culture in Israel at the time. And it says that they complained against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution, the daily handout. So, I mean, you carry the thinking out. Young lady decides she wants to be a doctor. That's fine. You go to high school, 12 years of high school, and then whatever else you want to do, it's going to be like, what, 10 years of college? Is that about right? Eight or 10 years of college, at least? What's that cost? Yeah, three, four hundred thousand bucks for, for college? Is that right? I'm guessing. I don't know. Just what I've heard, right? So she she's like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna take out the loans, and my folks are gonna help me, and I'm gonna sacrifice, or or even a man, you know, I, I said a woman, and or 
what, so, so they go through to this extent to become a doctor. Right? So that they can do what they want to do and, and earn what they want to earn. Highly skilled people, brain surgeons, I mean, talented people. And in the communist societies, the government says, okay, that's fine. But we're going we're gonna to scoop up what you've earned. And we're, gonna, we're just going to give it over here. We're going to give it over here. We're going to give it over here. Because in a community, in the commune, in the hippie commune, in Jerusalem, we're going to have all things in common. Everyone's going to be on the same playing field. So, so the guy who sweeps the streets, who dropped out of school, gets the same as the person who sacrificed and poured their self into their education and spent all their money to do it. They're the same. So, we, so communism kills the incentive to succeed. It kills, like, why would I, why, what for? Why would I do that? Is there a button on this thing that can make it stop turning off? Like to, it'll stay on the whole time on my iPad? Sam or Adam? Adam, can you help me, please? I'm sorry about that joke. So in, in settings, right? Okay, go ahead, do it. So I'm using pages right now. I guess I'll start using my notes, right? So I'll quit going off the cuff. So the Hellenists, they're upset because they aren't getting the same size piece of pie. And man, I start reading this stuff and I just, I, I mean, where does your mind go, man? My mind goes to America. As I'm reading these scriptures, I mean, it's like, have you ever noticed how pertinent scripture is? 88888. Scripture is so pertinent to what's happening in America. So I, it'll stay lit for four hours now? Um, Is that what we picked? Yeah. Oh, Just fix it for me, bro. All right, there you go. Thanks. Where's my study at? Pages. We planned this. There we go. Thanks, Adam. Let's rewind the tape and start back at the prayer. Because I'm almost done anyway. So keep in mind, so this is going on, right? And, and now the apostles are having to deal with this, what I call a gripe. But at the same time, this church, this early church is exploding right now. 
it is just taken off in membership growth. Easily 10,000 people. Maybe more like twenty or 30,000 people at this time. Communism never has worked and it never will work. Now verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So the apostles need to keep preaching God's word. In order, to do, in order to do so, they must spend time studying and praying and preparing. So that the apostles must delegate church responsibilities to other church members. For example, teaching the children. This is something I'm fond of, of doing here in this ministry. Preparing meals. Apparently these guys were waiting on tables and the, the widows, I mean... Apparently there was food connected to their, their, their church worship. Hospitality. The people who serve in the, uh, the coffee bar. The janitors. They vacuum the rugs. Clean the toilets. All that stuff. The modern church is a little more complex due to the things that we have going on in society now. For example, now we have computer systems. We're paperless. Hopefully the janitors are not paperless. It's getting a little more mileage out of that joke. We have internet broadcasts now. We have people making sure that the cameras are working and we are streaming a digital signal across the world in almost real time. Early church didn't have to worry about none of that. Lighting controls. Soundboard controls for preaching and music. We have the ushers around here. To me, if I had to pick the top two important ministries, I mean they're all important. But if I had to, if I had to like pick and order them, number one would be teaching. Number two, in my opinion, would be the ushers. The things that the ushers do around here. taking care of the people, greeting the people, making sure that we are safe. They provide security here. You got VBS, Vacation Bible School, man, that is, that's some insane stuff. Have you ever been around here during VBS? Man, I'm glad I work. It's tough stuff. But they have a lot of fun doing it. We need Xavier to stay in his office and to study all week. That's what we need him to do. We can't have Xavier cleaning the toilets, running the lights. Because then he can't prepare. He can't pray. Then he's got nothing to give if he's tending to everything else. He is our teacher. We are all members of this body. 
Right now I got a busted member. It's out of commission. And it's, I mean, it's not killing me. It's more of a nuisance than anything. I've been able to, you know, go about my work and my business pretty much no problem. But my writing's a little funky. I, I bang it every now and then. I banged it a couple of times today. And, you know, every now and then a tear wants to creep out. Because it hurts. That finger right there, that, that's, like, that's like a dude in, the, in this body who ain't doing nothing. He's just broken, sitting there, kind of getting in the way. And Paul uses the example of the body to illustrate the members all working together. We all must function in one way or another. I don't know how many toilets we got, but there's only one or two guys that clean the toilets. Imagine if there was five or six people cleaning toilets. The job would be cut into a fraction of the time and everyone would only have to clean one or two instead of 10 or 12 each. And that's just an example. There's a lot of square footage of floors that needs to be vacuumed and swept. All that kind of stuff. We could always use more ushers. We could always, the ushers are always short. Guys call in, I can't make it, man. I can't make it. You best have a good reason for not being able to make it. Especially if you promised in advance that you was going to be here. I don't reckon anybody would be in that ministry if they let me lead it. <laughs> I can be abrasive and harsh. I know that about myself. But if you said you was going to be here, be here. Period. I, I get it. I get the exception. There are exceptions. Now, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So this is the method of delegating the work. Good reputation. How is my reputation? I just mentioned that I know that I can be kind of harsh and abrasive and, and hey, you're, you're 10 minutes late, bud. Oh, hey, I'm just volunteering, brother. Wrong answer. So I know that about myself, so I have to kind of keep that in mind. When I'm dealing with folks, when I'm dealing with people, I've, I've got to purposefully be gracious and merciful like Jesus. Jesus, the only, the only people that Jesus was hammering on, man, were the, the hypocrites and the, the, um, the religious leaders. But the harlots and the Tax collectors and the sinners, man, they were real comfortable with him. They wanted to be around him. So they were full of the Holy Spirit. Am I walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh, according to Galatians 5? It says that they were full of wisdom. Am I discerning right and wrong and acting accordingly? Anybody catch the um, 
the speech from Kavanaugh who got uh, nominated for Supreme Court last night? You listen to the guy's speech, and I'm just going, yeah, right on. Excellent. Great pick. And people are screaming bloody murder about this guy because he says he intends to stick to our Constitution. And people are coming undone over it. I thought it was great. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The first nine chapters of Proverbs, check them out. It's all about wisdom. Wisdom versus foolishness. Wisdom versus foolishness. The first nine chapters of Proverbs. If you want peace, read the Psalms. If you want wisdom, read the Proverbs. First and second Timothy and Titus are given to us in the New Testament as guidelines for running the church. First Timothy Chapter 3, verse, verses 1 down to, to 13. Check this out. This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he de- desires a good work. A, bi- <coughs> Excuse me. a bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth, his, ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy, of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. By the way, this is old King James, if you hadn't picked up on that. Filthy lucre. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slanderers, but sober, Faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a good deacon, of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Ruling their children and their own houses well. For the most part, I enjoy being with the the children's ministry here and being up in the mountains on the youth retreats and the camp retreats. But man, every now and then, man, there is a kid and you just got to scratch your head and go, what is going on? I mean, they, they sent Rosemary's baby up here with us. <laughs> you guys get that? Paul, you get that? He's like, what? Rosemary's baby. <laughs> Rosemary's baby is the child of the devil. (laughs) You guys are only like 15, right? How could you know? All right. Verse 4. 
we're really going to pick up speed now. <laughs> All right. But we will give ourselves to conti- continually to prayer and to the ministry and the word. So the, the apostles re, uh, restate their mission purpose here. Continual prayer and teaching of God's word. This is the core duty of the church. Equip the saints. The, the, the primary duty of this church body is not to evangelize the neighborhood. Although we do that. We do function. We do evangelize. But the, the primary function of this church body is to equip you and I for the work of ministry. We come here to study God's word, to become equipped, so then we can go out. That's secondary. That's a byproduct of being equipped. Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which is teaching, and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. The result, church, church growth. The best way to grow a church is to accurately and inductively teach the word of God verse by verse, not through social programs and seeker-friendly schemes. We don't throw a VBS here so that we can pull in a bunch of extra folks from Pasadena or Sierra Madre. I mean, the place just gets packed out so we can minister to the kids who already come here. Now, they, they bring family and they bring friends and they hear the word of God. But we don't do that to, as some ploy to somehow boost our numbers. <clears throat> the job of the church is to equip the saints with the truth, not to make a person feel good or happy. So wipe the smile off your face. Verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. So Stephen will receive some attention here right quick. Philip, he's the guy who ends up preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8. And by the way, Philip got raptured, if you remember that, in chapter 8, verse 39. He baptized the Ethiopian and boom, he disappeared. God harpazoed him. He was caught away. The word in the Greek is harpazo, violence snatching away, seized by force. It's the same word that Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians for the church when the Lord comes back to the clouds. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazoed together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be with the Lord. God's going to, when he returns, not to the earth, but he's going to come and he's going to remove his church. The church is going to be removed, meet him in the clouds, and then they are going to spend seven years on a honeymoon, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But during them seven years here on earth, tribulation and great tribulation under the Antichrist. 
And it's gonna, the, the Bible says it's gonna, the earth is going to see the greatest revival it's ever seen. There's going to be a bunch of folks who, who you know, they're going to say it was aliens or I don't know how they're going to explain it, but there's going to be a bunch of folks that knows exactly what's going on. And it's going to be, uh-oh, I got left. I wasn't ready. I was faking. I was playing. Key here. Notice the nominees were noted as being full of faith and the Holy Spirit. A, a person cannot give away what he or she does not possess. I sometimes will give guitar lessons, but I, I cannot give a guitar lesson to an expert or to a professional guitar player because I have nothing to offer that musician. What I can offer is some basics, how to tune your guitar, some basic chords, some basic arpeggios, some basic scales. That's what I possess. That's what I can offer. So unless I possess the Holy Spirit, unless I possess the fruit of the Spirit, I can't offer it. 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul writes, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. That's the teaching. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now verse 6, Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, laid hands on them. Laying on of hands. Through prayer and laying on of hands. The reason they prayed, Acts one twenty four, And they prayed and said, Thou... Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. So that is a prayer when they were selecting a replacement for Judas. Why'd they pray? Because they said, Lord, you know the hearts. I can look at Henry. Henry looks and smells and sounds just like a Christian to me. But I can't see his heart. I can see his fruit. But only God knows his heart. Only God knows my heart. There can be the, the meanest, gnarliest, grumpiest old woman or old man you ever saw. Just as saved as can be. And you don't know it. God is the only one who knows the heart. So that's why they pray. God, you know the hearts of all men. The reason they lay hands. 2 Timothy 1.6, therefore... Uh, I put thee in remembrance that thou stirrest up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So, so Paul says, you remember, Timothy, I, I laid my hands on you and you received a gift. Acts 8.18, and when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. So something was happening when the apostles put hands on people. Acts 19, 1 through 12. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. When, when I put my hands on someone's shoulder and I pray for them, it, it's an act of faith. I don't, I don't think that somehow there's some electricity or something just flowing out of my fingertips. It's just an act of faith.
Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip that that illustration. I was looking at the clock here. Verse seven. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. The result of these actions is that the word of God spread. It spread out. It was distributed. Isaiah fifty five eleven. My grandmother used to quote this one to me. Excuse me. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whether to I send it. That promise right there gives me boldness to speak God's word and to share God's word with anyone and everyone because it's his word. And he's, he's done said that when it goes out, it's got a purpose. And his purpose is going to happen. And it ain't got nothing to do with me. As long as I give out his pure word. And, and don't try and change it or add something to it. Disciples, they multiply. The disciple, the definition of that is simply one who spreads someone else's teachings. So you can have an evil disciple, you can have a good disciple. But the disciples were multiplying. Priests were getting saved. Look at that. Bottom of verse 7. And the priests were obedient. So many of the priests were obedient to the faith. I found that interesting. Dang, I thought the priests were already saved. The priests. The implication here is that the pious and religious people were not saved. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man, when he is old, be born again? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Come on, Nicodemus. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, and thou hearest, and the sound thereof, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So then is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus says, are you not the master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak what we do not know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things, Nicodemus? Unless the Pope stops allowing himself to be worshipped, do not expect the Pope to be in heaven. Kiss my hand. Get down on your hands and knees. Worship me. Are you kidding me? Sick. Wouldn't want to be the Pope. 
Walk out them doors and say that, man. See what kind of reaction you get. You've got to be kidding me. You're speaking against the Pope. I'm speaking against anybody who allows himself to be worshipped in the place of Jesus. Verse 8 and 9 is Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some of what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. Now, notice that Stephen was full of faith. This is more about the object of his faith and not about the amount of his faith. Jesus said unto them in Matthew seventeen twenty, Because of your unbelief, and, and for verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say to this mountain, Remove hence unto yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible for you. Jesus says, Your faith is so puny, it's smaller than a mustard seed. In other words, Jesus said, You ain't even got no faith. Because if you did, you could move that mountain for reals. I have to know that I am nothing. Jesus is everything. Jesus commands every subatomic particle in the universe. And that is where I am to place my faith in Him, in the One, the Creator. In terms of power, it's raw, it's the raw power of God. The power of God that changed me on November 20th, 1996, 8.15 p.m. From an unsaved sinner into a saved sinner and now a saint. God looks at me through the lens of his son and goes, hmm, Daryl Ditterbrand, hmm, righteous. It's incredible because I am not righteous. But in his sight, I am because of his son. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, that power. God's power. Paul wrote, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perishes foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of god god hath not raised up the lord so sorry and god who hath both raised up the lord and will also raise us up by his own power it's the same power Ephesians 1.19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power? This word appears, I only gave you four examples. It appears 152 times in the New Testament. God's power. Not to mention the Old Testament. Now, signs and wonders. Now, apparently, these seven men were given apostle-like status by the Holy Spirit in that they were able to perform miracles. And like any good Christian, hate was incurred by the religious people. The synagogue of the freedmen. Now these guys were the ones who had been liberated from slavery, according to my research. 
these libertines were at one time Roman slaves that had embraced Judaism. So Roman slaves that have proselytized into the religion of Judaism. And they don't like what they're hearing. They don't like this Jesus, this you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep the Sabbath. You don't have to, you don't have to, uh, I mean, you, what, you, you can eat bacon? Are you kidding me? That's unclean. All that stuff. It was blowing their mind. Jesus said unto them, Nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights. And great signs shall be there from the heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you. And deliver you into their synagogue and put you in prison. Being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall be, it shall turn to you for a testimony Settle it, therefore, in your hearts, not to meditate, therefore, what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth of wisdom, which you will answer your adversaries, and, you shall, and they shall not be able to resist. And you shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends. And some of you, sh they shall cause to be put to death. And you will be hated by all men for my name's sake. But there shall not be an hair of your head that will perish. In your patience, possess your souls. Verse 11 down to 15, we have the conspiracy. They, then they secretly induced men. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. And they also set up false witnesses who said... This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the, this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him and saw his face as the face of an angel. So Stephen gets set up. They start lying. And again, as I'm, as I'm reading this, this last section here, and I'm, and I'm starting to kind of dig into it, I can't help but I, my mind automatically starts paralleling what's going on in our nation today. They incited public unrest. His words were taken out of context. He's indicted as a criminal. Blasphemy, is, is that's a criminal offense. Actually, we're going to see that he gets killed in the next chapter. They weren't kidding around. Stephen is facing extreme hatred. It reminds me of President Trump. I taught 5th uh, and 6th grade this past Sunday. Um, and we started into a Bible lesson. And it turned into a civics lesson because about five minutes into it, we had, we, I had said something about, um, we're talking about America, making some parallels. And there were two kids in the front row and, and one of them says, yeah, President Trump's a racist. And I was like, wow, fifth grade, man. How, how old are you? I'm 10. Well, where'd you hear that? 
Everybody knows that. I'm like, oh my God, this guy must be watching Channel 7 or something, right? (laughs) What what makes you say that he's a racist? He hates Mexicans. And I was like, wow. And I got a witness. My little brother David back there was in the class at this time. I'm telling the truth. Amen? Amen? Come on, back me up, brother. It happened. It happened. I mean, even David stood up. He was like, what? And so, I know I didn't mind, actually. I thought it was, it was, it was kind of a neat segue, and we started talking about foundations and buildings and making parallels to the Constitution. And, you know, they just sat there, and, and the, it's, where do you guys get your news? Well, you know, that's what my mom and dad say. Did your mom and dad come to church here? Oh, yeah, yeah. We've been coming for a while. Are you, are you guys Christians? They're like, well, yeah, 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 we're Christians. So, they, you know, they weren't real, you know, clear cut on it. But we can't pull punches. We can't pull our punches. I don't, we don't get, you don't got to slaughter somebody, but we come here for the truth, people. But it's funny when you draw a, a, a concrete foundation and you draw a house on it. And then you take your eraser and you, and you erase, you know, okay, let's, let's, take away the, let's take away the Second Amendment, shall we? And we, you erase part of that foundation. You know, so half the house is hanging off the, off the foundation in the picture. Then you ask the, the 10-year-old, what do you think is going to happen to that house? Well, it's going to fall down. Bingo. So then it's an opportunity to share about the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and the foundation that it is for America. It is incredible as, as you watch the politics going on right now. But you know what's funny? I, I've, it's, like, it's like madness, right? But I don't know about you, but I sit back and it's almost like Trump is unstoppable. It's like God is, is, it's almost like God's letting Trump fix America. He's, he's already got two Supreme Court appointees. Now, I mean, now everyone, the, all the weirdos are worried about abortion and gays now. Oh, man, they, you know, they, the gays are going to have to go back in the closet and they're, you know, it's going to be illegal to kill babies. You know what? Good. It should be illegal to kill babies and you should be in the closet. So, it's fascinating to watch, isn't it? I'm with him. I'm with the guy. John fifteen eighteen. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. We got a couple of minutes. I'm, I'm going to. So we were talking about laying on of hands. Um, and I don't fancy myself a miracle worker. But I saw something happen once that blew my mind and I'll never forget about it. And when I and when I think about it, even till this very day, and I thought about it today because I'm reminded of it from time to time. 
particularly in this passage where they were talking about laying on of hands. So I had mentioned earlier that my 14-year-old daughter was born with some health issues. One of the issues that she had was uh, some issues with her heart. She had some some missing tissue uh, between uh, a couple of the chambers, and she had a valve that was malfunctioning. So she had some issues that needed surgery to correct. Uh, they wanted to do that at age one. We got three opinions. I was very apprehensive to take one guy's opinion, you know, and so we got three opinions. Uh, finally, the Lord gave me a piece about it, and we, we went ahead with, with the surgery, um, basically open-heart surgery on my three-year-old daughter. So we're, we're at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, and it was like lightning fast. I mean, I, don't, I forget what day of the week it was, but we were we went in. They opened her up. She was on heart-lung bypass for 45 minutes, repaired all the issues, wired her all back up, stitched her all back up, and seven days later, she was airborne between the sofa and the recliner. And I called the doctor. I said, doctor, um, should we sedate her? And he's like, if she wants to jump, let her jump. I mean, we were in and out of that hospital in 48 hours. I mean, it was, it was a miracle, man. It just like, boom, see you later. It was incredible. It was scary. It was scary for me. Um, and I remember when, when she, she came out of surgery they took her straight to ICU, and so we couldn't see her. Like, no, you're going to have to wait. they got to get her all squared away and get her all hooked up. And um, It's kind of hard to even talk about it right now. But, I, you know, I'm, the whole time I'm taking pictures, you know, and so I built this photo album. I can't even bear to look at the photo album. So anyway, we go into the ICU, and, and I'm just, I, I get wiped out, you know. She's, she's restrained and, you know. Looked like about a thousand tubes and needles coming out of her. So, but over the next hour, we gathered ourselves there and started to kind of, you know, get my wits about me. And, and so she's in this ICU room with other, uh, like four other beds. And so we were talking to the lady in the bed next to us, which is kind of maybe, I don't know, where maybe a little further than that speaker there. And I forget the mother's name, but the baby was Brianna. And Brianna was about 60 days old. Same, just had gone through open heart surgery. And they had been in there for 10 days trying to get this baby to breathe. The, the baby had a, um, like a breathing apparatus that was down her throat into, into her lungs. And they were, they were breathing. For, the machine was breathing for this baby. You know, and the mother's just, you know besides herself and she's 10 days into this thing and this baby's not breathing and she's telling us a story and i'm like oh my gosh you know so i got real grateful about what we were dealing with because amy came out of it breathing right now and so there was a there was two doctors one on either side and a nurse and then her the the lady the mom was at the foot of the bed and we're telling her our story and and uh my wife is here with me, and, and I said, hey, um, I forget her name. I said, ma'am, do, do you mind if we, if we pray for your baby? 
And she, she says, uh, she says, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, that'll be fine, thanks. And so my, my wife and I, we're, we're kind of, you know, we're you know, waiting to make our move to get over to the baby. And so, so the doctors, you know, they kind of turn around to, to tend to some other business. So we run over there and we, we put hands on the baby, Lord, heal this baby, you know, just have your way and boom, amen. And so that was it. We walked away and she thanked us. And, and so 10 minutes later, I leave the ICU room because Fernando and Xavier are coming over. So I walk out the double doors and I meet them in the hallway. They're coming down the hallway. Here's the ICU room. And about the time they reach the position where I am, these doors crash open. And I'm just like kind of getting out of the way because here comes a gurney and some doctors. And, and still, I don't really know what's going on. And the last person to come through them doors was that lady's mom. And she said, she's breathing. And I said, what? She said, she's breathing. And I chased her down the hall. And I said, God did that. Don't you ever forget that God did that. And she goes, yeah, I know. And then I just walked back. And then I told the story to Fernando and Xavier. I couldn't believe it. And I just sat on the floor. Because I had just witnessed a full-blown miracle. And that had nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. And when I think about it, I, my, my hair stands up on my, on my arms. Man, I saw, I saw God save me. How's that for a miracle? Abraham Lincoln was much surprised one day when a man of rather forbidding countenance drew a revolver and thrust the weapon into his face. In such circumstances, Abe at once concluded that any attempted debate or argument was a waste of time. What seems to be the matter? Inquired Lincoln, with all the calmness and self-possession he could muster. Well, replied the stranger, who did not appear to be at all excited. Some years ago, I swore an oath that if I ever came across an uglier man than myself, I'd shoot him on the spot. A feeling of relief evidently took possession of Lincoln at the rejoinder. Well, shoot me, Lincoln said to the stranger, for if I'm uglier than you, I don't want to live. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the things that you do in our lives. We thank you how you teach us. You bring us along. You, you are our father and you have taken us as your very own children. And you claim responsibility for our lives. We thank you for teaching us and bringing us along in this life. Help us and use us to reach the lives of others who don't know you. Help us to have compassion and love and grace and tender kindness for our fellow man. Have your hand upon the United States of America. Continue to do your work, Lord. Strengthen the foundation that you gave us in 1776 through our Constitution, through what you gave us. We love you, God, and we commit this time in Jesus' name. Amen.